Hello, everyone, and welcome to the False Nines. This is the 41st episode of a bi-weekly footballing discussion. I am your host, Zach Pensack, alongside my friend, Adam Goffin. Adam, how are you doing today? Footy, Zach. Joined by a Newcastle supporting legend, Footy. (laughs) joined by a Newcastle supporting legend indeed. So we are very, very happy and honored to have our second guest in as many episodes. Today, we're keeping it local with another Denver resident in Josh Lumpkin. Josh, you want to say hi to everybody? How's it going, everybody? Hallway the lads. (laughs) Hallway the lads, indeed. So uh, a rare occurrence on the podcast. We have three Newcastle supporters all coming at you. Uh, So we'll we'll probably do a little more Newcastle content than usual on our episode today. Um, But but yeah, Josh, really, really happy to have you uh, on the pod. Do you want to just kind of introduce yourself to everybody? Uh, Yeah, sure. Uh, My name is uh, Joshua Lumpkin, and... uh, I started Mile High Magpies uh, back in 2012 when we uh, handily defeated Manchester United 3-0, and it was the one time, and at the time, the bar that was open was Three Lions, the Newcastle fans outnumbered the Man U fans. So I shopped the idea around, and everybody kind of liked it, and for the longest time it was just me, and then um, a friend of mine, Victoria, who actually um, helped found the new york city chapter she helped me really get the ball rolling she came out for a visit back in 2013 the following fall when we faced tottenham and uh, she really helped us put the whole thing together really helped me um, in reaching out to other fans and uh, doing the original design for the uh, for our current logo and our um, flag so yeah she's been fantastic fantastic awesome that's it's a very, very cool to, to kind of get that influence from another founder of a Newcastle supporters group. So I know that you're a, a lifelong Newcastle fan. Uh, is there any particular reason that you uh, began supporting the tune? So I began supporting the tune um, basically in sort of the mid-90s uh, amidst the whole entertainers era. It's sort of the perfect storm. Uh, there was a lot of influence of British music coming over here in the United States. And, of course, uh, Manchester United was getting a lot of press since they were winning. And obviously with David Beckham being on the team, um, also brought them a lot of headlines here in the United States. However, for me, um, having always listened to British music and uh, sort of embracing the football culture that kind of came with that, I wanted to dive a little deeper. I wanted to sort of learn about other clubs. And at the time, uh, Newcastle United was the alternative. So it fit in with sort of my love of music and always finding alternative artists and independent artists. And basically having watched a lot of their highlights and that sort of thing on ESPN and a little bit of footage we could get here in this country, um, I ultimately became a Toon fan. Nice. So Josh, I know something you're very proud of as a friend of yours for several years now is the fact that um, the Newcastle chapter, the Mile High Magpies, um, actually hosted Toon Army America's annual meetup uh, in 2019 here in Denver. Tell us a little bit about that event and, uh, and how we made it a success here. Yeah, so I had the idea for the meetup back in 2017. Um, so what happened was is New York City got the first one, and uh, then Texas got the second one. And um, it was from there, I believe, that was when we you know, suffered relegation. 
And it was interesting because I feel like that was really when Mile Hag Magpie started to gel. Um, having fewer matches on television meant no one was really taking it for granted and staying home. It was those rare times when we were televised through BN Sports where we could all come together, meet at the pub, and watch a match. And so it was, it was great. Um, it was even so bad one time, we all like to tell the story how the internet uh, failed us at the bar, <laughs> and we all gathered around somebody's cell phone to finish the match. Uh, that's how devoted we were. <laughs> and it was at that point that I realized, you know, I really, really wanted to host the next meetup, and I really wanted to make it something special, and I really wanted to showcase just what a special group we have here, because we don't just get together, as you know, just to watch matches. I mean, we hang out with each other outside of, you know, the bars, we, we hang outside uh, beyond the matches, we know our families, um, we know each other's families and significant others, and I felt like that was just a really unique environment that we've been lucky enough to have here. So after Chicago got it, um, you know, that turned out to be kind of like, it turned out to be, you know, a disappointment for a lot of reasons, obviously, um, with, every, with all the struggles that, that they had, but I was determined to make ours a meetup that wasn't just going to be about watching the game, but it was going to spotlight that same chemistry and camaraderie that we have in our group. And for that, I want it to be a full weekend event. I didn't want it to just have people fly out for a game because they can stay at home and do that. Um, I want it to be something special. So, um, again, it was kind of two years in the planning. There's a gentleman um, that I worked with who uh, owned Altitude Awards and Awards and Apparel. Great guy. He was, when, when people in when a couple of sports shops in Denver stopped uh, pressing name and number kits on jerseys for people who want to customize, I guess because they didn't want to, you know, the, the fear of ruining somebody's jersey, I guess, was too great. They didn't want to <laughs> accept the potential laws. Um, Altitude and Awards and Apparel stepped up, AJ, and was pressing my shirts. And I looked around his shop and I was like, wow, you do amazing work. He did embedded ink t-shirts and, and all these great custom socks, like whatever we wanted. I said, listen, you know, we're planning to host this meetup in about two years time. So I'm going to keep you in mind. So from there, it was networking with him. It was networking with our bar. It was, um, then, you know, making friends with the local brewery, um, Hogshead who generously donated a free beer to everybody who came. They in turn referred me to another local, uh, company that did custom glass. That's how we got the pint glasses. So it really just all came together. And, yeah, I mean, I, I was the one who was footing the bill on a lot of that, so I just took, a, you know, a hit and just said, you know what, I'm going to make this the best meetup that we're ever going to have. I want to just showcase everything. I want it to be bigger and better than anything we've done before. So that was so I just put up the money myself, pulled it out of my savings, and crossed my fingers. People showed up, and uh, thankfully it all worked out. Um, I did end up losing a little bit of money, but honestly, I'm perfectly okay with that. It's, it's a, such a small contribution to yeah. compared with seeing all the smiles and how happy everybody was when it finally came to fruition in 2019. It was an awesome weekend, and um, Zach and I both got to enjoy that weekend too. I think, Zach, uh, I, I'd love to hear your highlights, but two highlights for me were we had two party buses um, full of Newcastle fans singing um, our Newcastle songs, uh, Bladen Races, kind of uh, lots of good old classic drunk music on in the background a little bit of journey kind of going from brewery to brewery we did great divide blue moon just kind of hopping around the, the city of denver and then of course the other highlight was 
having Warren Barton at the event. Watching the game with Warren was was just awesome. It was a was a was a great weekend. Yeah, I I, I second both of those motions. Uh, yeah, watching the match with him, um, you know, d- doing a little Q and A with him afterwards, and and really uh, getting to just have kind of normal conversations with him as it was, uh, you know, uh, not a small group, but but a tight tightly packed group and he was he was you know for for a day or for some hours just another newcastle fan at at a a pub watching the match with us so i think that was that was really special um and then yeah meeting folks from all over the country meeting um uh one one person in particular joey uh samra who's one of the admins for the uh facebook newcastle supporters group which i think is well over twenty five thousand fans um it's somebody whose name i had seen online for years and getting to put a face to name was was pretty cool so yeah i think the camaraderie of it was was a really really special event and yeah extremely appreciative that that you put so much time and effort in in getting that together yeah we were very very lucky um um in a lot of ways actually i mean the, the first bit of luck was originally that match was going to be um not televised it was going to be on nbc sports gold so we were lucky number one when they switched the match um, we were lucky number two when, you know, we thought about getting a guest speaker, but we had no idea how. So when um, the folks at Coming Home Newcastle were like, hey, we can put you in touch with Warren, it was like, oh my goodness, this could really happen. And then there was this pause of like, well, can, can we really do this? Like, can we really afford to do this? You know, is this is this at all going to, you know, just... I don't want to create an event and have like 10 people show up. It'd be a major risk. But thankfully, Jan and Bob Hampy, I couldn't have done it without them. Um, they were so generous to put up the points um, there for their airline miles in order to fly him out. And then we lucked out even further in the sense it's kind of like a bittersweet thing. Well, with three lines closing and us having to relocate to, um, to the Celtic on market, um, Noel, again, as luck would have it, he knew people in the downtown hotels, and he was nice enough to connect us with somebody who could get more in a room. So that was fantastic as, as well. So we didn't have to worry about trying to research and figure out, you know, where's going to be a good place for him and what's going to get the best rate. Like he already knew it was fantastic. So we just immediately just went through his contact and uh, set him up over at the hotel, walking distance, so we didn't have to pay for any transportation for war. He was able to walk to and from the bar, so we just thoroughly lucked out. And then finally, you know, the recognition too as well um, certainly goes to, uh, yeah, the Mile High Geordie, a.k.a. one Matthew Ralston. Um, Matthew was integral in rattling a lot of cages, and he was excited for the meetup, and I was excited for the meetup. So he was endlessly tweeting, and uh, reaching out to people the way I was saying, hey, you really need to come do this. You really need to come and experience um, this meetup because there may not be another one like it in the future because who knows what the next group is going to plan. And so between them and, of course, everyone else that was involved, I mean, I couldn't have done it without them. And it's just that same spirit and that same camaraderie. That's what makes me proud to be a Tune fan is I don't see other fan groups stepping up like that. Sure, they might all get together and uh, you know, watch the you know watch the game, watch the game at the bar, and then they all go back to their separate lives. But I feel like with us, there is a stronger sense of camaraderie that I see in our group that I don't see in other groups, and that really makes me proud to be in Denver and be involved with this 
this this this whole like <laughs> this whole fandom and the, and the globe and all the fans globally really yeah i think i think you're right there um it's i think it's because we're not too big a club in terms of our supporter base at least here in the united states that you know people aren't hopping on the bandwagon so to speak and there's just so many people there that it becomes impersonal i think we're a small enough group that we get to know everybody and we care about everybody in that group and and that's what I like. So we've we've firmly established you are a party planner extraordinaire, Josh. But um, aside from that, you're also a big Newcastle and um, and real, really an English Premier League fan as well. So we got a little bit of a Q and A that we prepped for you here, Zach and I. So we'll we'll start off with asking you, who's your favorite Newcastle player of all time? Uh, Kevin Keegan. Um, not just because coming in, sort of, you know, getting glimpses and sort of becoming a fan, being indoctrinated in that whole. Uh, entertainer's error, but also just going back and watching him play. Um, he, he, he's just, yeah. I mean, obvious, great hair too, right? Similar to mine. So, uh, so yeah, I'm a huge <laughs> fan of Mighty Mouse. Um, I loved watching him play. I, I loved his passion. Um, even as a manager, I loved his passion and he wasn't afraid to speak out and he wasn't afraid to take those chances. And I think that's a lot of what he inspired in the entertainers. And um, I think that sort of out-of-the-box thinking needs to happen more. Yeah, it was a beautiful yeah, brand of attacking football there, Zach. I think you'd agree with that, too. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, so, so from your favorite player all time to maybe your most memorable moment, uh, and we'll expand this, not necessarily uh, Newcastle moment, although it could be, but what, what would you say your most memorable Premier League moment as a fan has been viewing all these matches over you know uh, so many years? Wow. Um, if we're talking Premier League moment live, um, it's still Newcastle, it's still CC's goal. <laughs> and I mm. think part of the reason why it was so memorable was um, I because I, it was a midweek game, I'd taken a day off work, I'd watched the match, and I was literally the only Newcastle uh, fan in the bar, the rest were Chelsea fans. And when he scored that goal, I to see that live, I jumped out of my seat and yelled and cheered, and literally two Chelsea fans got up and walked out. <laughs> and so for those of you who don't know, of all the Premier League teams I don't like, it's, it's Chelsea. So <laughs> I was very happy not only did that goal happen, but it happened against them. Um, so yeah, yeah. That, that would I would say would probably be my most memorable Premier League uh, moment as of recent. Now, don't get me wrong, I can go back and watch video and name, you know, plenty. But because I am a diehard Newcastle fan, I admittedly don't wake up and watch some of the other matches. Um, I would say the only other one was would actually have been World Cup, and um, that would have been like Carlos Puyol's header against Germany um, to get Spain through. Um, another notable one, oh, God, I'm, honest, I'm trying to I'm space the name, um, the goal from Australia. Um, Tim back Cahill, in the yes, volley. Yes, exactly, yes, <laughs> back in 2014. Oh, Thank you. Those would be the other, those would be two others for sure. Definitely. Nice. Yeah, I, I like all of those answers and similar answers I've given for, for similar questions. So, yeah, definitely definitely on point with those. Um, uh, so our third question, uh, Newcastle-specific uh, once again. Um, if you could go back in time and rewatch one Newcastle match for the first time, so obviously not knowing the result um, and how the game plays out, which, which match would you choose? Um, if I could go and see it live, it would be Keegan's testimonial game against Liverpool. Um, I know that seems a little silly, but 
I mean, come on, it's Keegan in a helicopter. When are you ever going to see that? <laughs> um, <laughs> but if, if realistically, if I were going to go back and watch one, if I had to watch it on TV, um, yeah, it would be the 4 0 um, Newcastle against uh, Ferenc Barros. Um, yeah, game with, you know, obviously Ginola's Wonder Goal. So, yeah, that would be another one. In some ways, I'd almost want to watch that on TV because when. I mean, what kind of seat would you have to be able to see that live? I mean, it happens so fast, but unbelievable 4 0 victory. One of the best left foots of all time on David Janela. Oh, incredible. Player. Yeah. Incredible, incredible player. All right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so to wrap up our little QA to get to know you a little bit better, Zach, you've known both of us now for a couple of years. Who would you say is the bigger Newcastle fan, myself or Zachary? Ooh. <laughs> so. The way I see this is there's there's always going to be a pecking order among fans, right? There's always going to be, like, you know, j- just like in Newcastle, the ones that show up versus the ones that choose to protest. And in my opinion, both sides are right. So it's not about that. It's not about, you know, how much a memorabilia you have because anybody can, you know, buy stuff. No, I kind of rank those things on sort of two metrics. The number one is passion, and the second is how long you've been a fan so um Ooh. yeah so as and this adam, is not boding well for me yeah so, so adam sadly wins in, in the longevity of fandom because um, that's something but you know but you definitely have a lot of passion but but you know let's face it adam's the guy making a sing before he came along we didn't sing we were just noisy so uh so yeah so i gotta say if i weigh those two metrics then yeah adam's got to beat zach but <laughs> that's uh, you know I'll, i will uh i'll take a knee to him on that one that's a that's a fair that's a that's a fair answer we, okay <laughs> we sing when we speak in whale in whale so that's that's uh, unfortunately something i was born with i would say that's unfortunate <laughs> that's good <laughs> Great, cool. Well, um, uh, welcome, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to all of uh, the fans, and great to great to you know hear about your time as a Newcastle fan and kind of what has has taken you to the level of fandom that that you currently hold. Um, so again, very very thankful that you, that you were able to come on the pod this week, and um, re- really for for our pod this week again. Obviously, no new football matches to discuss. So really trying to come up with some creative formats. Uh, we're going to do something similar to, to our last episode um, with Gus. We're going to do two different discussion topics, um, so rather than the three that we had. And we'll really dive into these and um, kind of pick it apart and have you know that, that open fireside chat once again. Uh, and then from there, we will take a couple commercial breaks and then obviously end it off with 10 and 90 uh, as is um, as is tradition. But um, yeah, Adam, do you want to introduce that first discussion topic today? Yeah. So um, I think one of the things that we've seen recently in the press, um, although it's rare because we're not right before a transfer window this time, um, is uh, more takeover talk at Newcastle. So um, just to kind of give a little bit of a brief synopsis of what's going on, there's a Saudi public investment fund um, really kind of headed by Saudi Arabia's crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman. Um, and that um, public investment fund has recently bought an 8.2% stake in Carnival Cruises. It looks like they're basically trying to take advantage of a downturn in the market because of the coronavirus pandemic. Um, and they're um, supposedly interested in acquiring Newcastle in the near future and 
hopefully, I would think they're thinking, trying to get it at a little bit of a discount because of the current climate financially. So my question to both of you that will open up for, for a discussion is what do we make of the current takeover talk at Newcastle? Is there any substance to this one or is it just more smoke and mirrors from Ashley and the team at Newcastle? Josh, I'll let you take this first. Yeah, I got to say more smoke and mirrors. I mean, Mike Ashley can sell the club anytime. And I mean, there, there's absolutely no motivation, you know, for him to sell. Uh, I mean, week in, week out, he gets free advertising from us. Um, you know, the, the team store is basically nothing more than a Sports Direct just rebranded. Um, you know, so he holds all the cards. Why, you know, why would he sell it? Like, there, there's no real motivation for him to sell it. It's, it's the best way for him to, you know, reach sports fans and reach, you know, reach the public and get them in his shops. So it, it just, I, I just don't see it happening. Um, plus, I mean, let's face it, I mean, the guy's pretty greedy, so... Uh, I just don't think the motivation is there. I think, you know, if it were a relegation situation, if, you know, this virus drags on and on and on and on and on, and, you know, he really doesn't have, um, you know, the means to keep the club going, then, yeah, I can see him selling for a lower price. But uh, I, I just I just don't think so. I just I, I think we're going to be stuck with him. It's an, interesting, mm. it's an interesting point you brought up there, uh, just regards to relegation, I think. It's not that is not something that I'm concerned about, at least for this calendar season that we're in, because really everything that's been discussed has been either resuming at some point, either calling the season null and void or ending it where it stands right today. And if it was either of those last two scenarios, Newcastle are safe. If it's the first scenario, right. I think we're in a good enough position in the league if we did pick it back up and play the remaining games that we'd probably eke out enough points to stay up anyway. So you're right. There, there, there may be the relegation threat, but I think it's highly unlikely, and and that might be a reason why Ashley might stick around for a bit longer to cash in on it, especially mm -hmm. after, you know, all the financial troubles teams are going to get into right now with lack of games and revenue coming in the door. Yeah, I think that's a. I think that's those are all fair points um, regarding you know, like I, I think that Josh brings up a good. Good question of like, what is the motivation for him to sell? And that's kind of always been the thing that I've harped on um, as uh, whether it be a criticism necessarily of Newcastle fans or um, just a criticism of kind of the way that the business is structured is, yeah, like regardless of, of it seems what, what fans are willing to do and have done in the past, he, he continues to churn out a profit, whether it be, you know, this kind of more nominal profit of a, a few million dollars um, or, or larger profits on, on years where the team is performing better. Um, the, it seems as though the money making machine keeps on cranking. So in terms of like what, what would motivate him to leave the club, I, I agree with you, Josh, that it would, it would either have to be a significant financial loss at the hands of whether it be, you know, a pandemic or an unforeseen circumstance or you know, as I've always harped on, really, is Newcastle fans really taking the the protesting and the boycotting seriously, which, in my opinion, they just at no point, and this is not to insult any specific fans, because there are groups of fans that Newcastle fans trust is, is a group that is really, you know, putting a ton of effort into these. But as a united fan base, I think that we at no point have taken enough steps to really, you know, hurt the pocket and ultimately uh, the temptation for, for Mike Ashley to sell the club. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I, um, like a lot of fans, have been watching uh, the Netflix series Sunderland Till I Die, um, and I believe it's episode two or episode three, um, where it's, uh, I think, Charles, I can't think of his last name, the right-hand man to Stuart Donald, is doing a fans forum in a pub, and he makes this amazing point where he said, you know, once you have billionaires who are sole owners, it stops being a club for the fans. And I, I really like both he and Stewart's passion for their club. But I was discussing this earlier where it's like they have the passion, but they don't have the means, right? And if anything, you know, watching the series has made me say, even if I had the money, I would never want to own a football club in my life. <laughs> um, as much as I would like to fantasize about being a Newcastle owner and making all these people happy, realistically, it, it just isn't possible. And so the cynic in me kind of looks to that and say, you know what, I mean, I would take their ownership over Mike Ashley's any day if they had the means, because at least they have the passion. But pa mm. Ashley clearly has the means but lacks the passion, and that's why I think these stories sure. get churned out all the time, and it's always at these perfect opportune times. So, like for example, like I get the fact that the club lost a lot of money, a lot of money financially, and uh, that's why they weren't apparently going to give Rafa a transfer budget. And now the club's back on track. And I've heard, you know, uh, I've heard reports that basically it's like 40 million to, you know, run the stadium, right? So if you're getting, say, 100 million from Premier League money, then that leaves over that 60 million, hence Steve Bruce's, you know, training amount, right? Or his, his transfer amount. So, I mean, I get the fact that, like, they, you know, when, you know, Mike Ashley's saying, I'm going to give Rafa every last penny and he doesn't give him anything because they don't really have it to give, and now we finally dug ourselves out of the debt of the championship, and now Steve Bruce gets $60 million, and then we sell Perez mm -hmm. and everything else. you know. And so we're thinking, okay, yeah, this would be great, but then it's like the selections they make and you know, just the whole like process is just mind-boggling. It says obviously they don't care. You know, they're more interested in just, again, buying you know, players that are just good enough, not players that are great, but that are just good enough, which will keep, you know, Newcastle as an investment very stable. And you can go back and you can see this in, in our league positions year over year over year. And that's always been, you know, Mike Ashley's, that's always been his main motivating factor is, is stability. He's said that, financial stability. He's repeated that in any number of times in just about any interview he's, he's given. You know, and so what he's really saying is, you know, it's the most profit for investments, the best ROI is best return on investment and it's sad because you know we're always going to be as long as we're owned by him finishing somewhere between you know 10th and you know 16th or 10th and 17th right I mean that that's pretty much always the way it's going to be and you always see these stories come out always when there's a lull that's the other like just annoying <laughs> troublesome factor in all of these transfer rumors they always come out during a lull they never come out really when you know like when we're like finishing fifth under pardu or finishing 10th under rafa no they always come out when we're at a lull and i've just seen this pattern so many times with him over the past 12 years um which is why i just don't buy it anymore so I think mm -hmm. so I think you know we think about Ashley and obviously I think we, we could talk for hours about how much we dislike Ashley and and how he's run the club over the last 12 years to your point. But thinking about potential new owners coming in, um, there's still interest from Stavely and a, a consortia that have basically come in and 
uh, she's trying to basically raise funds through outside uh, outside groups to come in and really spearhead a purchase of Newcastle. That never goes away. There's rumors that that's kind of rearing its head right now. But then there's also the um, Saudi crown prince um, that's coming in. So I'd love to get your guys' take on, maybe with you for a sec, just thinking about... Yeah, so thinking about that, I think the Saudi prince, do you have any moral concerns about this owner at this time uh, I think it's something that has been talked about a lot by the fans or are you at the point now where you feel like it's anyone but Ashley yeah it, I mean that's something we we have spoken about in past episodes Adam is, is that kind of you know that that kind of debate and that kind of battle as as a Newcastle fan of uh, you know a, a worse evil um, and I think for for me uh, you know I I am of the opinion that like do I do I want the reign of Mike Ashley to the reign of terror in a way to end as soon as possible? Yes. Like I I, I would like nothing more for, for the sake of Newcastle United than to be sold immediately and there to be this kind of reconstruction of the club. That being said, I think this specific group that's going in, which is, uh, you know, the main financiers, as as Josh talked about, being the the Saudi royal family, um, and and the deal being brokered by Amanda Staveley, um, uh, that that's where I have issue is, um, you know. Uh, Folks who are, are familiar with kind of current events in politics remember a number of years ago, um, the same Saudi prince being uh, heavily, heavily linked. And uh, I, I believe it, it pretty much got to a point where it was confirmed that he uh, pretty much ordered the execution of a, a journalist who was who writing fairly uh, defaming things about the Saudi regime and, and talking a lot and undercover uncovering a lot of these human rights violations they were doing. Um, uh, Jamal Kasagi, who, who was executed in an extremely gruesome fashion, and as I mentioned, uh, something that was really considered by a lot of political analysts and people in the intelligence area to be a, a hit ordered by this same Saudi prince. So that's that's where I I can't morally ignore that you know there it's one thing if an owner has a spotty history but things are kind of you know shrouded in in doubt as to exactly what has gone on but you know that that's something of of really really significant and disturbing quality um and and, and is not the only thing that the saudi regime has been accused of over the years so um I, yeah, I, I don't know. For me, again, like would love the club to get sold and would love a, a rich financier to come in and pump money into the club. But I just don't think that with with a clear conscience, I could support the club in the way that I would want to if it's owned by um, you know such a uh, a disturbing a, a group with such a disturbing and dark history. And what about you, Josh? What what are your thoughts? Yeah, that's a. Yeah, it's a difficult one. Um, I can say this that, um, and, I, and I've, I've made this argument as well that the purchase might actually be good in the sense that, as an owner of an English Premier League team, you are constantly, constantly in the spotlight. So, if anything, this could shed more light on what's happening in that country. It could actually be a good catalyst to open the doors for change in that country i mean we've already seen now that saudi arabia is you know allowing women to purchase and and drive cars right 
Um, and so more of that might actually happen. Um, allowing something like, you know, football into a country like that, even if it's not taking place there, is a huge step forward, you know, from, from what could be a massive change in civil rights in that country. But it's also just a huge, you know, step forward just, just on the political, um, you know, just on the political playing field. And I think that's something, you know, which needs to be kind of looked at in the sense that, like, this might actually be a positive, right? Like, this might actually bring Newcastle fans in and allow people to congregate in that country and allow maybe men and women to watch these games together and things like that, even if it's, you know, you know, at, at someone's home or in a public space or things like that. Um, so, yeah, I... I as much as I totally agree with Zach, I like to try to be very optimistic optimistic, and say that this might actually be a really good thing for regime change. Um, you know, would I prefer a different owner? Of course I would. I mean, you know, Warren Buffett, please buy the club. You know, Bill Gates, please buy the club. You know, I mean, I would love to have, you know, wealthy American owners who, you know, have a more philanthropic and practical mindset. Um so yeah, I mean, I, I of course, but sadly we don't get to make that choice. Um, I, I would definitely be in a tug of war about, you know, how much support do I really, you know, follow through with Newcastle, knowing, you know, what the world knows about this person, and knowing what goes on in that country. So that that that's my whole thing is that I feel like if it could bring about change, if it could help administer some of that, because. Now, you know, you've got, you know, football fans from around the world, and so you're now in the spotlight, and naturally, at least I would hope that the people, you know, in Saudi Arabia that might generate more football in Saudi Arabia and actually get, um, you know, more more of a fan base there, I think that would be fantastic. Um, however, again, it's not a perfect situation by any means. So that, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm kind of on the fence. I'm very much optimistic about it. But yeah, I some great points there. I think uh, it, it, from my perspective, um, I can see both of your points. I can see it potentially being a good thing in terms of shedding more light on what's happening in Saudi Arabia. I can also see Zach's point of, you know, there's atrocities happening over there. Um, and this guy seems to be at the center of some of the, the poorer decisions that have been made in that country in the, in the recent past. So... Uh, I think the one thing, though, that, that sticks out for me is, as a Newcastle fan, I've lived with 12 years of Mike Ashley. Could I potentially see past that stuff and have somebody come in that's, you know, going to fully back the club? Probably. Um, I think, you know, at the, at the end of the day, it's speaking selfishly as a fan, we've been through a lot of crappy years, um, especially recently. We haven't had much to cheer um, so yes, I see the moral implications, but as a fan, I mean, I would do anything to get Ashley out. I don't care who it is. I, I, I just hate that man as a human being. Yeah. Sure. And I, I don't think there's really a lot of moral implication there. I think that, um, you know, I think that if, if let's say they buy the club tomorrow and they, and they back it and it's this incredibly overwhelming positive thing, I feel like that can lead to other positive things. I feel like, you know, people, like, it makes it more difficult for them to commit those atrocities, right? Because now they've got a bunch of Newcastle fans involved, they've got the Premier League involved, they've got, um, 
you know, they've got fans across the world who will probably start burning jerseys, you know, if it turns out that they buy the club and then they continue these atrocities. So it can kind of work the other way. Whereas if they own it, now it's like they really yeah. have to keep their noses clean. You know, and if they are perform- if they are doing these types of evil things, they're going to really have to keep it under wraps. And that's going to be very difficult to do because, once again, you're thrusting the spotlight as an owner. I mean, how many times has Mike Ashley been brought before Parliament over you know, his, his sports direct dealings, right? Can you imagine, you know, somebody like that, you know, who might commit all these types of atrocities, who knows, may even be starting wars in foreign lands, and all of a sudden it's like, you can imagine, like, he could be stripped of the club, um, you know, and seen not as a fit and proper owner. So, it, like I said, it puts more pressure on them to, again, kind of keep their noses clean and do the right thing. In that regard, I think it's, it's kind of a good thing in the sense that, like, you know, they, they really have no wiggle room and they really have not only, you know, the premier league to answer to, but they've got like fans. Yeah, around I think that's a, that's a very good point. That's something that honestly I hadn't really thought about previously, but I, I agree that the spotlight becomes a lot, a lot brighter. And um, yeah, I, I mean, there's, there's no right answer here at all. I, I agree with, with a lot of what both of you said, you know, from a fan's perspective, anything is better um and yeah there 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 is a kind of multifaceted way to look at this and yeah I th- and i'm glad that you've provided that that level of insight because i hadn't really yeah i hadn't really thought about that previously but um all right great well that was a a, a really nice uh, thorough first discussion question we're gonna take a quick break here uh, a commercial break but we will come back and wrap up with a second bulk question for the latter half of the pod so stay tuned all right everyone and we are back on the second half of the false nines again this is episode 41 we're coming at you remote as we stay safe and sound in our own home so having just discussed uh, the newcastle transfer rumors we uh we'll, we'll take this outside of tyneside um necessarily for a second question now all, all three of us agree and probably a lot of you listening that mike ashley is uh widely considered to be the worst owner in the Premier League. And I mean that both from a reputation point of view, as well as the relationship with the fans and the way that the team has performed throughout his regime. So I'll, I'll ask you to, to to expand this, you know, again, outside of Newcastle. And I would love for you to both make your case for who you consider to be the worst owner in the Premier League other than Mike Ashley. And then after that, we'll follow up by all going around and name who we think is the best owner of the Premier League. So maybe end on a positive note this time. So Adam, starting with you, um, you know, besides uh, the he who shall not be named, uh, who do you believe is the worst owner in the Premier League? Well, before I get to that, Zach, I just want to say how nice it is for you to say that you're going to end on a positive note because it's rare that you do that with your cynicism. So uh, good job with that. Um, I would say my nomination for the worst owner in the Premier League, and uh, I can tell you that the fans of this club would be right alongside me in saying this, uh, is the Glazer family at Manchester United. Um, In doing a little bit of research for this, if you look at how they've backed the team, um, there's been significant backing for the last few Manchester United managers especially Jose Mourinho like they they gave him almost 400 million British pounds in terms of investment Um, and when you look at kind of the uh, the overall spending of the club they've spent over 
500 million in net transfer spend since Alex Ferguson left the club. So there's definitely been a lot of money put into the club. However, the problem is is that they are actually not funding that themselves. They're being they're bankrolling those purchases by loans and hedge funds um, versus themselves dipping huh. their hands into their pocket. And that's where I never knew that. Of, interesting. Yeah. So um, the interesting stat I read about when they came in in 2005. Um, the Glazers, the, that was the first time that the club had actually been in debt since 1931. And they immediately came in and they just put the club into debt, just in terms of the loans and the ways that they were financing the running of the business. Um, they've also drained more than a billion British pounds out of the club since 2005. There was a consortium that tried to come in that were more of a supporters group that were trying to buy out the Glazers, but they didn't have the capital to do it in around the 2010 sort of mark. Um, and now they're currently today in about 400 million pounds worth of debt. Just give that give that a thought for a second. 400 million British pounds worth of debt is more than Mike Ashley is asking the, to purchase Newcastle. That's how much debt Manchester United are in right now. So, like, you think about it and you think about Manchester United over the first few years, I'd ask you guys this. Is that a better or a worse situation than we're in at Newcastle. Sure, they've had the investment that they've put into the team. They've had great managers, great players come through their doors. We haven't really had that. But we're at a relatively stable, from a financial standpoint, club. And the Manchester United, uh, whoever goes and buys them next, is really going to have to take on a bulk of that debt. Right, but I mean, that also yep. ensures the Glazers keeping Manchester United be great like i mean keep in mind uh, mike ashley loaned us quote unquote um you know money in order to clear newcastle's debt however his strategy is that he only takes the minimum payments so it barely and even though it's an interest-free loan like you know whoever buys newcastle united is the same deal they're going to be inheriting that debt which is going to go directly to mike ashley so great that this is a much much broader scale and much, much more shadier financial dealings that the Blazers are doing, it ain't stopping them from buying players like Pogba either. It's like a lot of it's just bad financial yep, they're, decisions. They're not doing it the right way, I would say. Well, what about you, Josh? Who, who would you nominate as your worst owner in the Premier League right now? Um, oh, yeah. So that would be the El Dilger <laughs> brothers. Uh, that would be David Sullivan, David Gold. Um, and of course, Albert Smith, uh, yeah, collectively known, I guess, the Dolby Brothers, really the two Davids. Um, yeah, and that would be West Ham United. Um, so here, here's some numbers. So um, back in 2009, um, they finished in ninth, and then Goodmanson sold the club. Then they finished in tenth, then eleventh, and uh, or sorry, they finished sorry in twenty sorry they finished seventeen sorry. In 20, Sorry, in 2010, they finished 17th, and in 2011, they were relegated. So literally, like, they finished in 9th and 09, they finished, you know, 17th. So it's immediately downturn, right? <laughs> get relegated. Get promoted back in 2012. Does this sound familiar? It should, right? Okay, so right, get promoted. And then they're in, you know, then they're sitting in 10th, 13th, 12th, 7th, which was excellent in 2016, um, 11th, 13th. Um, and then finally, 10th place last year, 2019, and this year, what were they looking at? Probably relegation. So two relegations potentially in 10 years, 11 years? Yeah, this is this is just the same 
track going down Mike Ashley, and that's why they they have the closest sort of path. Hence, to the worst owner of the Premier League, which we all collectively agree on. Um, more importantly, when you look at um, you know them sort of putting this idea of like we're going to build a stadium, we're going to move everybody across, okay, and all that's great, and they've invested some money, and they obviously want a team a team that succeeds. But they have, again, it's the same idea. It's no concept of football. It's the same problems Newcastle has. No concept of football. The players they're bringing in just seem to be kind of at random, and other pundits have commented on this. There doesn't seem to be a plan in place. They can't seem to get a stable manager. I mean, the best they really had, in my opinion, was Village recently, and now they're back to Moyes. And that's the problem. It's, it's a club that's basically going nowhere, and that's just remaining in the Premier League, eking it out, granted, better than we have, you know, consistently being mid-table. Um, however, it's all just to pay to that pay for that ridiculous stadium. And the idea was to, by building a bigger stadium, they could bring more fans in. But I mean, when you're putting out such a mediocre product, now you just have that many more fans sitting in seats angry at you, which of course we saw during their protests. I I wish every day that Newcastle fans would stand up and say James Park and uh, do the same thing. I mean, I really feel like, you know, we have that level of anger and we're finishing bottom half, at least, you know, in the case of West Ham, they're at least finishing closer to mid table. And so you'd think that, you know, that would be kind of enough, but you can see the frustrations. Um, and they're so similar to what we experience here with Mike Ashley. And uh, so, yeah, for me, that is why definitely David Sullivan, David Gold, um, definitely the two worst owners to a lesser extent, obviously Albert Smith. He's only got a 10% stake, but hands down for me. Yeah, after Mike Ashley, you've made a fantastic case there. Uh, and yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that being a West Ham fan would be uh, on, on certain levels as frustrating as, as being a Newcastle fan, especially with how much they have spent time after time and year after year. And yeah, like you said, the mediocre product that they are coming out with. Um, so, so I chose a different owner that I, honestly, after hearing Josh's, um, dissertation there I, I i might be swayed onto his side <laughs> but um uh, so I, i'm gonna just for for sake of parody uh take it to another side of london and i i'm gonna go with stan Kroenke, um who is the owner of arsenal football club and to to us three living in denver colorado a, a very very uh, familiar name so stan Kroenke, for those who might not know the owner of uh, Kroenke sports entertainment which is a massive sports media entertainment company based here in denver uh and um uh, just a little bit about Kroenke. he owns many more uh, professional Sports teams, uh, the the main ones and, and the largest besides Arsenal being the uh, Los Angeles Rams, uh, the Denver Nuggets, and then also the Denver Avalanche. Um, so the the first thing that I want to touch on is is just kind of the reputation that Kroenke has as an owner, really across the board for all of those teams in America, and and really what that reputation entails is a complete disconnection from fans. So Kroenke is notorious for for being very uh, kind of hush-hush, does not do very many interviews, and, and really likes to take a hands-off approach with his teams. Um, it, it's kind of that, um, you know, acting as the as the cash cow and then letting the operation uh, kind of run itself, um, which in a way you, you could compare to Mike Ashley in a sense of his lack of, you know, influence on 
on football, um, but in a way very different as Ashley does have a large part in, in transfers and budgets and whatnot. Um, but, but the issue that, that has been seen with Kroenke is um, this kind of disregard for the, the well-being and the, um, you know, the interests and uh, health of, of the fandom. So uh, the first of which being uh, an easy one, which is moving the what were the St. Louis Rams back to Los Angeles. Um, so essentially um, kind of, you know, casting away a, a large group of fans in St. Louis and um, really disregarding the the hometown support that they had built in that Midwest city um, for, you know, what some people might think of as a larger market in L.A., um, and then here in Denver, with both the Nuggets and the Avalanche, Cronky uh, creating a, a private um, sports network uh, where if you are living here in Denver, Colorado, you cannot watch Denver Nuggets games on local public television. You have to purchase uh, the packages that exist for this Cronky network um, and, and pay to watch your hometown club. And, and really, that is like of the utmost insult in my mind to a fan base. Um, so just I, I, some background on Kroenke. Uh, if we take it specifically to Arsenal, though, he took over in April 2011. Um, and so in the eight seasons since Kroenke fully took over the club or took over the majority of the club, um, they have only finished in the top three three times with their highest finishing being uh, finishing second in the 2015-2016 season um, and they they have not won the league obviously and, and not won anything in Europe in fact their best European finish being the round of 16 in the Champions League uh, for for five seasons in a row and so when, when you think of Arsenal and when you think of the reputation that Arsenal had built in the uh, in the 2000s decade obviously the Invincibles that was their you know, most prominent and famous year in the 2003-2004 season where they didn't lose a match. Um, I, I would argue very heavily Arsenal was um, really punch for punch with Man United and uh, perhaps even Chelsea in the latter half of that decade as the top club in the Premier League. Um, and I, I know both of you could would agree with me in this decade, or the decade that has just ended, um, Arsenal is beyond a shadow of a doubt, nowhere near um, a Manchester United, Manchester City after the takeover, uh, and even Chelsea and now Liverpool have, have severely overtaken uh, that North London club. So I, I just think that the way in which Stan Kroenke has kind of distanced himself from fans um, and and the, uh, the way in which there's just been zero success, both domestically and internationally for Arsenal um, and really this dip in in their reputation as a, a top club, uh, I would put him at the bottom of that list of owners in the Prem. I think you made some great points there. Um, and certainly as a, as a Denver sports fan, for the most part, um, just looking at what he's done with some of the local teams here, it's, it's, it's not been great. You know, the Rapids have been mismanaged. Um, you mentioned the avalanches while there, you mentioned yeah. the nuggets, you know, there, there's been some mild success there, but to your point, the, the, the way that he's really treated the fans. Um, I know if you're a Comcast subscriber in the United States, you still can't watch the Denver nuggets. Um, they still have this holdout over at, um, the, um, the network wanting more, more money on altitude sports before they can, they will actually make a deal so that people that pay top dollar for Comcast services can actually watch it. So kind of stinks um and, and he's definitely not somebody well liked i'll say in these parts no absolutely not i mean you definitely make a lot of 
um, good points about that. Uh, I mean, the thing you know with, with Arsenal is that you know that they're all you know they, they're still showing a lot of that success despite sort of going through and having to deal with the Cronkies. And you know, while like they are terrible owners, I feel like it's only gotten really bad since 2018 when they fully you know took over. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would agree definitely as, as a as a Comcast subscriber and as a Rapids fan, it's really frustrating to, to see a thirty five cent credit on my bill because I don't have Altitude Sports Network. Um, so yeah, I'd much rather just you know, heck, I give you fifty cents more if I could watch the Rapids, you know. But sadly, that is not the case, and uh, that's how the Cronkies decide to do things. And you know, I I I get the fact that like. Newcastle has a subscription package. Liverpool, everybody has their own sort of like TV subscription package, and there's all kinds of media rights and things like that involved. But that just isn't the case here. So this is just pure greed, you know. So mm-hmm. yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, so yeah, let's start from the top again with Adam, and again end on what what is a very uncharacteristically positive spin for me um best owners in the premier league i'm I'm really interested to see where both of you go with this because i think you can interpret this one in a variety of ways but adam who would you view as the top owner in the prem i'm going with somebody who might not be as well known the team certainly is um, but i'm going with a gentleman called farhad mashiri um, and he is the current 80% owner of Everton Football Club. And the reason I went with him is not because necessarily the club has seen a lot of success. God knows we know they haven't seen a lot of success in recent years. Um, but he took over in 2016. Um, he's somebody who sold his personal stake in Arsenal to fund the takeover of Everton. And he's really come in and tried to run the club in the right way. When I say that, I mean he's made investment in the club both from a player standpoint and a managerial standpoint when we look at like the last three managers that have have come in at everton under moshiri ronald koeman was the first one marco silva who obviously that didn't end up very well but at the time was a very coveted prospect um, who'd done great things at watford um, and then carlo ancelotti now who i think might be the the answer for them i think you know he's a he's a phenomenal manager i've said this before on the pod probably my top five managers of all time carlo ancelotti um so to be able to come in and attract that level of manager um, and give them backing in the transfer market to bring in good players i think speaks testament to the um the real investment and passion that mashiri has for the club he listened to the fans when silva um silva's head was being called for um other good stats i think here to to back this up since he's come in everton are the fourth highest spenders in the premier league they've looked to youth they've looked to domestic players as well a lot of the time i think that's been really really great and then i think back to um kind of early 2000s sort of time frame late 90s when wayne rooney was coming through um he needed to be sold um to really kind of reduce the debt of the club um and that was the reason that he left everton boyhood everton fan and went to manchester united they're at a point now in their history where they don't really have a lot of debt they don't have to sell on their best talents they can retain they can invest they have good management um, and i put a lot that a lot of that down to the ownership of farhad mashiri since 2016. And I would agree, if, if they build that stadium, Mashiri will probably be a freaking legend. But of course, you know, if you build that stadium, you got to finish higher than 7th or 8th. <laughs> I mean, that's, right. that's, that's the truth. But, but just looking at, 
you know, all the render, all the 3D renderings of that stadium, it is just unbelievable. I, I would seriously, if Newcastle has an opportunity to play there, I, I would fly there in a heartbeat just to experience that. Yeah, great, great fan base as well. Everton have, have have fantastic fans, so always look forward to playing them on the calendar, especially when uh, when we get to put a couple goals past Mr. Jordan Pickford. Yes. <laughs> yeah, oh man, yeah. His, that that's the one thing about uh, that case that you've made that I disagree with is the fact that they they bought such a small armed man uh, just speaks volumes <laughs> about the knowledge of the owner. <laughs> Full length arms are extra. It's like getting the special sauce at your favorite restaurant. Yeah. Right? No, you're right. It, it is the uh, it is the premium subscription, but no, I, I think that's an interesting point, Adam. Uh, I I don't know if I would go as far as agreeing, but I, I think that um, the it is an interesting complex that Everton has to have of being the the objectively smaller club in in the city to Liverpool, and I agree that, that with the new stadium, particularly, like efforts are clearly being taken to. Uh, to try to remedy that that imbalance so yeah that was an interesting point um josh what about you who do you think is the best owner in the prem i'm going with the red side of liverpool and that is uh, fenway sports group um if you look year over year over year they have just done nothing but make wise decisions on players and managers and they have improved liverpool status year over year over year and i mean it, it's quintessential of what I would love to see happen at Newcastle. It's a very similar floor plan uh, to what happened, or game plan, I should say, rather, that happened with Manchester City, and that is they are truly building something there, and they are truly building a club there, which not only attracts more players, but attracts more fans, and yet they're still keeping the spirit alive and well among the fans, and it still feels like a local club. Um, I feel like they're doing pretty much everything right, um, and it's 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 kind of an exciting time to be a Liverpool fan. Um, you know, even just going from like, you know, oh, you know, they got rid of, you know, they, they got rid of Suarez, but then they bring in Klopp, and then you know they, they make up like every transfer. It seems like they've made, you know, and, and I can't even go through. There's so many to mention, but it seems like they've improved every single time. Every time you think, well, what are they going to do without Suarez? And it's like they're doing even better now and i've just watched them throughout the years and for a while they were one of kind of like my my second favorite teams only because you know andy carroll and jose enrique and you know obviously most recently rafa benitez um and i just feel like that that club is on the upward trajectory and they're making sound financial decisions they're taking the right types of chances and taking the right types of risks on not only players but also um, but, you know, also coaches, especially in the, in the case of Jurgen Klopp, and it's all just gelling for them. It's all coming together because they have the right sort of almost attitudes around the people they're bringing in. And it's that sort of collective spirit. Where that, that club right now has a, just such a positive collective conscious. And, you know, and, and I think, you know, despite the fact that, you know, everybody, all the naysayers and, and not liking a lot of the VAR decisions, that sort of thing, which have happened this season and, and the fact that there seems to be a lot of favoritism or whatever around Liverpool, there's no denying the camaraderie of that club right now. And there's no denying the, uh, the financial responsibility and the financial impact that Fenway Sports Group is making um, within that club. And I, for me right now, they are hands down the best owners of the Premier League. They're not disconnected. They're involved. You know, they do a lot of great outreach stuff. I mean, 
you know, they really engage with fans, I think, more than a lot of clubs at that level, that level really do. So for me, it's that. Mm. Uh, yeah, I so this morning I I was looking on on Instagram and I saw that um, the the Liverpool club account had posted this video and I had seen kind of similar things since you know the the quarantine has begun of of people having this group Zoom meeting and doing some activity and it was a, a Zoom meeting of all the players on Liverpool doing a yoga session all together and just from their own homes kind of like you know shouting each other out like laughing together and um, I watched this video and I, I texted one of my friends who's a huge Liverpool fan and I said to him I was like what makes me so angry when I watch this video is how likable Liverpool is as a football club. <laughs> right. And that, that I, that's why I couldn't agree with you more. Like Liverpool is the team that you, you want to hate and you want to, you know, have nothing but disdain for, but from top to bottom, from ownership to, to their social media presence, obviously to the personalities on their team and the camaraderie, they, they're so so likable and yeah it, it's it's a hat off to, to what the Fenry group has created yeah yeah no i i i totally agree i mean it, it's frustrating you know to see what in my opinion was clearly a dive on salah when we played them some time ago but uh but yeah it, they're, they're a difficulty to behave right now and um i feel like you know all the decisions again they've made you know at that club have always seemed to work out in a very positive way and they clearly have a plan. They clearly, you know, have a direction. Um, and best of all, you know, they, like I said, they're bringing in people with the right attitudes that are fostering that level of camaraderie, not only on the pitch, but also between fans. All right, cool. Well, I can't disagree with any of that, Josh. Why don't we uh, kind of wrap up here with um, Zach? Who is, who is your opinion, the best owner in the Premier League? So, so again, after after hearing uh, Josh's case for Liverpool, it, it it's tough for me to to disagree. Um, but I'm gonna go uh, with um, a, a club that uh, Adam, you'd know, I, I talk about quite a lot and have a bit of an affinity for, and 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 that would be uh, Leicester City, who's owned by the. I'm gonna give it my best shot here, the Srivad Hanaprabha family. Um, a, a Thai family, uh, and really, uh, you know, when when people think Leicester City, uh, they they think the miracle season in 2015-16, uh, right? I will forever identify Leicester. I, I would say even if uh, Leicester goes on to win more titles, this is going to be the one that that everybody remembers decades from now. Um, and so it, it was in 2010 when uh, the I, I'm not going to say the whole name over and over, but uh, the uh, the family bought the club. So August 2010, right before the 2010-2011 season. And at that point, uh, Leicester was in the championship uh, and actually had just gotten promoted back from League One. So we're kind of this lower half uh, championship side. Um, and in, in the coming years, it just a, similar to Liverpool, but obviously at a lower scale, just a a steady ascension. So immediate investment being put into the club, uh, being renamed the King Power Stadium. Uh, so King Power, uh, duty-free being the, the business that uh, made this family their money. Um, and so uh, investments being put into the club, the sponsorship levels and immediate investments on players as well. Uh, so climbing up the championship, they won the league three years later in 2013, 2014. 
uh, in 2014-2015, their first season back in the Premier League, uh, it, they had a season that a lot of people don't really talk about now, mainly because of what happened the year after, but they had arguably the greatest survival in Premier League history, uh, becoming only the fourth club in uh, in history to be in last place on Christmas and survive, and also the first club um, to go from having 20 points uh, at that time to, to reaching survival. So uh, it, it was a, a seven, in their last nine matches, winning seven of those matches. Um, pretty remarkable for a team that looked dead and buried for as long as they did. And then obviously, as we mentioned uh, in 2015, 2016, uh, the greatest uh, title win in Premier League history going from, you know, this, uh, f- what was it, 5,000 to 1 betting odds uh, to, to win that title at the beginning of the season, I think it was. Um, so uh, again, th- that goes a bit deeper than the just the owners, but um, I think a, a huge part of, of what has made them great owners and, and what has given the team success, you know, sitting in uh, in third in the Premier League this season and again, exceeding expectations, is the, the way in which they've purchased players in a, a very shrewd but brilliant fashion. Uh, the three players that really stand out to me and I, I think would stand out to most folks uh, that fulfill that um, type of qualification is first uh, Riyad Mahrez. So Riyad Mahrez going from an unknown player playing for Le Havre in, um, in France uh, and then being bought by uh, Leicester for less than half a million pounds. To be exact, it was 443,000 pounds. So the fact that in 2014, him having that market value and four years later being sold to Manchester City for 60 million pounds and probably the hottest commodity in the Premier League is pretty remarkable. The vision that they had and the, uh, the, the, the amount of money and effort that the owners put into building a scouting network throughout France. Uh, another player from France, Ngolo Conte, that they bought um, from Kane uh, for uh, seven million, just just under eight million pounds. So uh, you know, a bit higher of a fee, but Ngolo um, Conte, uh, I would say, pretty much universally recognized as you know a a top three, if not the best defensive midfielder in the world right now um you know and again another one that they were able to to get a profit off of uh after uh, that championship or that title winning season and then the third being jamie vardy uh who at this point um people really view as the talisman for uh for lester um and he was bought from fleetwood for for only one million pounds and has turned himself into one of the best strikers in the Premier League. So three really, really great investments. Um, and also the fact that, you know, despite selling Mares and selling Conte, um, being able to compete and, and reinvest that money and stay at the top of the table. Uh, and, the, and the last bit about about the Leicester owners is, again, kind of similar to what Josh was saying with the Fenway group, um, just so beloved by the fan base, you know, so grateful uh, that the fans were for taking them up into the Premier League and making them into, you know, a top, a consistent top half club it looks like they'll be for years to come um and and this really was unfortunately and tragically exemplified by the reaction to the uh death via helicopter crash right outside the king power stadium of vichai sridav hadpramana 
Uh, and he, he was really the leader of the family, the one who actually bought the club in 2010, um, dying in that plane crash in October 2018. And you, you really saw the entire city rally around the club there. And that, that was quite telling for me, um, is knowing that love that the uh, fans had for the ownership group and seeing how they all kind of came together. So I think that just considering their circumstances when the club was bought to where they are now, I would put that as the best owners in the Premier League. It's funny you uh, you went with them. I actually was thinking about going with them, but I don't know if you know this, Josh. Zach is a boyhood Leicester fan, so ah. I didn't want to steal his thunder on this one. <laughs> you there know, you I, I grew up I grew up in the part of Connecticut that fosters a lot of boyhood Leicester City fans. <laughs> wow, <laughs> I didn't know there was a specific area of boyhood Leicester City fans in Connecticut, but oh yeah, yeah. We found, we found it. We found it. We found it. Okay. <laughs> now, some great points there, Zach. Yeah, they're, they, they, you, they are very much beloved by that fan base. Um, and I think you're absolutely right. That title-winning season will go down as probably the greatest title-winning season in history. When you think about underdogs, um, unlikely lads, um, fairy tale stories, I mean, there, there can't really be a better one than that, I don't think. Right, right. No, I would agree. I mean... Uh, I, I think the thing with Leicester City, more importantly, I think their best contribution, honestly, is they gave every club in the Premier League hope. Um, that was kind of like their gift to the Premier League. They basically just mm-hmm. said, yeah, everybody has a chance of winning this. You know, you just have to go out and believe you can do it. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, so that, that's the one thing which I, I really like is you can ignore all the money and money, all, all the famous players and everything. But, I mean, it just goes to show you when, when you have the right combination of people there, I mean, things like that are possible. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's that's uh, really my, my pick of the litter there. Um, uh, yeah. All right. Cool. So we will jump into uh, another commercial break. And then when we come back, we'll wrap it up with uh, Adam's favorite new section, uh, as well as 10 and 90. So stay locked. All right, welcome back to the False Nines. We're going into the last two sections of the pod here with um, Zach and Josh today. Really excited to get these last two sections underway. Um, This is a new one. This is something we tried in our last podcast. This is one that I'm very excited about, as Zach mentioned. It's our middle name section. So for those that haven't heard it before, I am going to give Zach first a list of five middle names from a Premier League team, and he's going to need to tell me who that player is on that squad and then I'll do the same for Josh. Zach let's start with you we're going to Liverpool so a very well-known team top of the Premier League table currently uh, five names for you and I'm gonna start with John. Oof. Okay I'll talk out my thought process here John uh, definitely definitely British um, uh, a couple of British options here. You got Lalana, you got Ox, you have Trent Alexander Arnold. You could even stretch it and go Robbo. Um, I, I'm gonna go with um the first one I mentioned there. I'll go with Adam Lalana. You mentioned the name, but you didn't pick it. Trent John Alexander Arnold. Ah, okay, name. all right. Yeah, that was a crapshoot. <laughs> All right, we're going to go for a little bit of uh, foreign flavor here. So number two is Gregion Emil. Gregion is G-R-E-G-I-O-N, Emil. Uh, All right, Emil definitely makes me think, oh, I feel getting an Italian vibe from that. I'm getting a a French vibe from that. Um, Who does Liverpool have that is 
French or Italian. I don't know either of those two. Um, huh. Well, all right. So, so as to not waste time, I'll I'll just completely disregard what I just said. Let's go with Dejan Gregion Emil uh, Lovren. <laughs> it's a good guess. It's actually ex Newcastle player Genie <laughs> Gregion Emil Wynaldum. Oh, uh, the Dutch. The Dutch are so confusing with their naming conventions. Ah <laughs> 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 oh, man, I miss Genie. What a what a, best smile in Newcastle history. Tell me, I, tell me otherwise. T- tell me, tell me, tell me another player that's going to score five goals for the tune anytime soon. It's not, there's oh, not many. Of God. Them, so. Yep. Yeah, he he was way too good to be playing for Newcastle. We all knew that immediately. <laughs> we, we we absolutely did. All right, number three for you, Zach. Um, Henry. Hmm. All right. I feel like we're back to back to England here. So ruling out Trent. Uh, that leaves me Ox or Lalana or again Robbo. I feel like Henry is not a Scottish name though, so I'm gonna take Robertson out. Um, Fifty-fifty shot. I'm going to stick with my guns, uh, Adam Olana. <laughs> you talked yourself out of it. Andrew Henry Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> Adam Henry Oh, damn it. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm playing myself here. <laughs> All right. We're going we're gonna to go back to a little bit of international flavor here. Uh, we're going with Okoth. O-K-O-T-H. O-K-O-T-H. That's an interesting one. I actually have a coworker whose last name is Okoth, um, and I wish that I had had spoken to her previously about uh, the the origins of that name. Um, Okoth, it, it it sounds like it has uh, it sounds like it has some some. Hmm. Ooh, I don't know. That that one's throwing me for a loop. Okoth. Uh, let's go. Let's go. Let's. Take it to Africa. Let's go Nabi Keda. Oh, it's a good guess. It's actually Divok Okoth Origi. Oh, okay. All right. So so a Belgian. All right. Exactly. All right. right. um, Wrapping it up. Somebody near and dear to your heart. Give you a little bit of a clue there, Zach. We're going with Mm -hmm. Brian. (laughs) Brian? (laughs) Someone near and dear to my heart. Why would there be a player... I know you're a fan. Near and dear to my heart on Liverpool. Huh. That's an interesting one. Near and dear to my heart. Um, uh, 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 um, did both of the wingbacks. Near and dear to my heart. All right, is it Adam Lallana? Is that why you said it's near no, and dear to my heart? Not. I'll give you one more <laughs> guess. Um, oh, God. I'm so in my own head now. Um... Uh, geez, near and dear to my heart. I do not know who this would be. I, I don't know. Tell me. I've given up. I've fallen apart <laughs> at the seams here. Someone whose praises you have sung on the pod many times before, Jordan Brian Henderson. Ah, he is so good. He is the best player on the England team. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, Josh, I think you get the uh, the format. Well, For you, sir, we're going to go with Manchester City, so uh, our current top two. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm going to yeah, all, all, you, all you have to get is one. Sure <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll just I'll just say, you know, guess who drew You'll probably be one of them, right? So. <laughs> all right. We're going to start okay, with we'll hope. Shaquille. Ooh. Um, 
Huh. I don't know. Uh, Shaqu- maybe Riyadh Shaquille Mares. That sounds like something an angry mom would yell. <laughs> you are closer. It is Raheem Ooh. Shaquille Sterling. That was a good guess. Oh, <laughs> angry Jamaican mom would yell. A lot of fun yell. with his names, huh? Okay, yeah. Raheem Shaquille. Hmm. All right. Next up, we have Lionel. Lionel. Uh, David Lionel Silva. Incorrect. This was the one that wanted to get Sergio Lionel Aguero del Castillo. Oh, I should have known that. Yeah, Argentina. What was I thinking? I don't even know where the Kun Aguero comes from that he has on the back of his shirt. Because uh, yeah. he's Sergio Lionel Aguero del Castillo. Anybody know why it's it, Aguero? I believe I it, it's a uh, kind of a traditional um, like naming convention in Argentina. I, I might be wrong, but I, I believe that's it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. All right, number three, Aziz. A-Z-I-Z or A-Z-I-Z for our British listeners. Okay, well, I, I'm going to... I'm going to go back to Riyadh Aziz Mares then. <laughs> Leroy Aziz Sane. Oh. oh. Uh-huh. I, thought I would have guessed Mares as well, for that sure. Either. Also that he's German. He's German, Leroy Aziz Sane. Very, very I, I mean, I figured he already had, his, he already had one set. <laughs> Why not more, you know? Exactly. So, yeah, okay. All right, Josh. Think about this one. Kareem. Hmm. Oh, wow. Uh, I mean, that that's... Oh, man. I don't think it's Kevin Kareem De Bruyne. I will tell you that one. Kevin De Bruyne does not have any middle names. He is literally Yeah, that's Kevin what I'm guessing. Um, I don't know. Kyle Kareem Walker. That doesn't sound like... Yeah. Is that what I, you're going you know, All I go back to is, like, you know, when your mom's angry, you know, she uses your full name. So, so I'm thinking, like, what, what would a mom be yelling at one of these players I like that logic. at seven, year old, seven years old for, like, spilling something in the kitchen, <laughs> right? Like, what can you get out really fast, you know? So, like, Gabriel <laughs> Cream issues, you know? Like, it's got to be something like that, you know? Uh, you know? Oh, man. Um, so what are you going with? Oh, man. Um... Yeah, you know what? We'll, we'll, just, we'll go with Kyle Kareem Walker. <laughs> this one I knew it. I knew it. Morris. I knew it. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> That's too much. How could a mom yell at young seven-year-old Riyadh for spilling something in the kitchen? Like, that's, wow. too, that's a mouthful. I feel bad for his... <laughs> I mean, jeez. I mean, I'm assuming, that, you know, mothers around the world use your full name for scolding you. But yeah, <laughs> right. that'd be a mouthful. We're, we're 0 for 9, guys. It's not going well. Um, Josh, you've got, you've got one left. A chance to redeem yourself. Don't overthink uh, this one, all right? Okay. This is not a trick question. We're going with Josue Jimenez. Wow. Josue Jimenez. I trust that we can get one of the 10. Come on. You got this. Oh, man. Um, I'll go back with Mr. Captain David Jose Jimenez Silva. Is the is. correct answer? There yes. Oh, <laughs> yes. Man. Yes. Good job, bud. That See, was... that sounds like somebody who spilled the paella right there. 
there. That, that yep. I can see an angry mom going after him. Young, it's, young, young, young David in Spain spilling the paella all over the kitchen floor. His mom comes in. All four names, you know, shut down, fear, up and down his spine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I like it. We're getting into the sections. It's good stuff. Good that stuff. That was good. Yeah. I'm impressed. <laughs> Woohoo! One for ten. Okay. Well, not bad, guys. Well, not well bad. Done. All right, Zach, you want to keep yeah, it to our, yeah, our last I section? Yeah, I absolutely do. So as per always, as per tradition, um, we are going to wrap it up with uh, the, uh, the 10 in 90 cornerstone section. So as you all should know uh, by this point, um, we'll, we'll all be asking each other a number of kind of random questions. And uh, this one, unlike middle names, uh, is rapid fire. So rapid reaction answers. We're not going to be putting a ton of thought into them. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I um, let's see who, who are we going to start off with here. Um, I, I guess I'll start off here today if you guys are good with that. Yeah, you kick it off, Zach. All righty. Cool. It. So, so uh, I'll I'll ask these questions to both of you. This is uh, kind of yeah, uh, five questions going to both of you two. Um, all right. Question number one: Who is the richest non-Man City owner in the Premier League? And uh, let's go, Adam Josh, for each of these. Richest non. Uh... I should have looked this up. Uh, I am going with Leicester All right, City. Josh. Ooh. Um. Goodness. Man, I'm. I would think. Um. Goodness, I sorry, I'm taking too long on this. Uh, I'm just going right. Manchester United. I want to change. I want to change. It my is answer. Abramovich. I think it's Abramovich. Yeah, uh, I was gonna say if I had <laughs> asked that question yeah. like three or four years ago, I think it would have been a no doubter. But yeah, Roman Abramovich, uh, worth twelve point yep. nine billion dollars, so the second richest owner in the Premier wow. League. Alrighty. Um. Uh, so I'm not gonna for question number two. Uh, I won't ask the specific people or person, but who? What team has the poorest owners in the Premier League? Oh, I know the answer. All right, this go one. ahead, then. Positive. It, it's got to be Norwich, right? Delia Smith and Josh. Norwich. Who do you think? Yeah, I would Norwich agree. indeed. I would Good Norwich. job, guys. It's a three-person consortium, and they have a current net worth of just a measly thirty million dollars. So, uh, you know, really, re- when you get promoted and spend zero zero money on incoming transfers, that's a surefire sign yeah. that you don't have a lot of money spent. Wow, so they have one Sissoko. Yeah, it's, it's pretty people. pretty embarrassing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, great. So on to question number three. Um, yeah, bo- both of you, I'm interested to hear this. If you could buy a team in the Premier League uh, that's not named Newcastle United Football Club, who would they be? Go ahead, Josh. I'll let you go first. Um, I'd probably buy Tottenham. I like that. Yeah, so yeah. I'd probably go with them. I think I think they'd be a fun project. Maybe make them slightly less Spursy. It would be the goal. <laughs> define define slightly yes. less Spursy. <laughs> yeah, 
Like, you know, I wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, we're winning the league. But, you know, we'll at least be slightly like less thirsty. I, I like that a lot. Adam, what about you? Uh, I think you know my answer already. Wales Jr. I'd, I'd, I'd buy Bournemouth for sure. Love the small town club feel. Love the um, the fact that the, the team rally around Eddie Howe. Just a, a great team nice. in general. Okay. I did know that was going to be your answer. Um, <laughs> just for the record. Uh, okay. Um, so ending with uh, two more Premier League questions. Uh, I think maybe one of you guys knows this answer. Um, how many total clubs have played in the Premier League? All right, I'll get. I'll give you. How about this? I'll give yeah, you neither, a right? an over under of five. So, Adam, what's your guess? Hold on. How many teams That's have played in the Premier League? Oh, I see what you're saying. You're not saying it's over or under five because there's 20 teams in it already. I was like, I'm gonna take the over on that one. Uh, <laughs> got you. Um, I'll go with Josh? 42. Uh, let's see here. So you got 92, three teams relegated, 18 years. So that's like three, four, and then how many would have come back? 28 um, years, not 18 years. And then you still have others. That's a difficult one to think about in terms of the attrition rate of what the Premier League looks like. But I, I'm going to go ahead and say... I think it's closer to 50. I'm going to go ahead and say... Like Alrighty, 50. Josh, slightly closer. 49 total clubs have played in the English Premier League since its inception. Yeah. Ah. Nice. There you go. All right, Thanks. cool. Good All right, job. and last question Thanks. now. Um, of those 49 clubs, there are six clubs that have participated in every season, uh, all 28 seasons since the Premier League was created in 1992. Um, uh, can you guys name those six clubs? And instead of both taking a guess, I'll have you go one after each other. So let's see if you can flip-flop and hit the six. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll throw Correct. one out there right away, Manchester United. Correct. Yeah. Arsenal. Chelsea. Adam, do you have a guess there? Chelsea, Sorry, correct. Chelsea. Okay, you have three of the six. Uh, You're Liverpool. at four. Okay, who are the two remaining clubs? I want to say Spurs. I don't think Spurs have been down since they. Started. All right, Spurs. Spurs is correct. Oh, Spurs. So who is the last club, Josh? It's on you as the guest. Ooh. Um. Oh, jeez. Uh... I think I know it. If you don't know it, Josh. Yeah. I'm, um. You can call a lifeline. Shoot. Uh, you can call a lifeline. What's that? I can call a lifeline. <laughs> Phone a friend. It's oh geez. Um, trying to think. I'm just spacing on because I know it's like because you mentioned yeah because you mentioned Chelsea, Tottenham. Oh, um, is it very Everton? very good? Yes, it is indeed Everton. The Toffees. Yep have never been okay. there again. So, good job. Good job, Josh. Well done, guys. Thank you. We did it. We did it. Cool. All right. All right, Josh, why don't All we right. why don't we kick it over to you? What are your your questions for us? Oh, okay. Well, 
um, after our COVID nineteen conversation, I uh, um, earlier, I, uh, I, I, I kind of decided I think I might do a couple COVID nineteen questions myself as well. However, um, so yeah, so we'll go ahead and start with that one. So here, here's a fun one: If COVID nineteen was limited to the Premier League, who would be patient zero? Ooh. <laughs> um pretty dark first of all so all right t- t- turning the dial a little bit uh patient zero well haven't uh... it's not dark it's like you know they, they they may have gotten it from you know a, a bad bad experience you know somewhere overseas or they ate a bad hot dog okay. or a bad pot. all right um i'll go with um i'll go with ederson no, no reason why. That's that's my answer. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, I'm gonna go with Felipe Anderson. Right, so for we West both home with Brazilians. Okay. There you go. <laughs> well traveled. Yeah. Oh, geez. Yep. yeah, I yep. know. International right? travel. Gotcha. So uh, Manchester United famously walk out to "This Is the One" by the Stone Roses, but one member is a City fan. Do you know which member of the Stone Roses you can name their instrument if you don't know their names is the City fan? Oh, geez. Adam, this is all you. I do not know who the Stone Roses are. <laughs> you don't do know not. who the Stone Roses are? I don't know that I can necessarily name like band members of the Stone Roses, uh, but the Stone Roses are, are obviously really, really famous in the UK. So, uh, The only one I know, Josh, is Ian Brown. Um, that I could name. And I I want to say like isn't uh, the guitarist is John something? Um, yeah, you can you can name the instrument they played on. So just name their name. Well, considering I know Ian Brown, I'll go, I'll go with Ian Brown. Ah, oh, incorrect. It's Freddie, it? the drummer. Oh yeah, I have heard that name before. Okay. Yeah. There yeah, you go. The lone the lone drummer. city fan amongst the brethren of United fans. <laughs> yes, he's the holdout. Yeah, apparently, I think there was one Beatle who was in Everton. Hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah, but the other three were Liverpool. Yeah, I can't remember who it was, but yeah, I want to say it was. Uh, I want to say it was uh, George Harrison, but I could be mistaken. Huh. Um, there you go. Anyway, so uh, which PL manager would you name head of the CDC during this crisis? <laughs> I like that. Um, Let's go with Nuno oh, I love that. Santo. Um, because mm. that man can do no wrong, um, and I'm sure he'd figure it out. He's figured everything oh, else out. Oh shoot! I really, really, I really like that <laughs> answer. Um, uh, <laughs> um yeah, I, I think I have to double down there. That's just the correct answer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, Nuno, if you're listening, you got to save us all. Book it. Book it. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> Um, okay, so all the Premier League players have a lot of spare time on their hands now delivering for Postmates. Which Premier League player is going to deliver you Curry Vindaloo? <laughs> Curry Vindaloo. Hmm, let's try not to make this too racist. Um, let's see. Hey, I love Curry Vindaloo. Um, it's my favorite. I'm going to go with somebody. If he's delivering Curry Vindaloo, he's probably been a delivery boy in the past. In other words, he's not playing a lot of first team football. So let's go with Jack Colbeck. Ooh, that's a really that's a really good answer. <laughs> oh. Hmm. I'm gonna go with uh let's see here. 
trying to think of a player who's just been totally cast away by his club um, and does again doesn't. Huh? And Dombele. Oh, that's a, yeah, yeah Dombele is first. it. That's kind of where I was thinking. Yeah, a player who <laughs> should be playing but is not. Did you hear that uh, Mourinho actually apologized because he held a one-on-one training session with Ndombele the other week in like a local oh, park and he was breaching the whole <laughs> social social distancing thing? So he I had did to see issue that. a formal apology that. to the, to the Spurs fans. <laughs> Fantastic. Was, it, was that five, Josh? All right, Josh, where you got? Huh? Yeah. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I thought you were going to. Oh, so you chose. Okay, sorry. I, I forgot your answer anyway. Okay, so uh, yeah, final final question here. Um, what former Premier League team has a pie as its mascot? Yeah, I know. They're like West Ham has Hammerhead. We've got Monty and Maggie. Um, yeah, there's they've got Moonbeam over at City. But believe it or not, there is a former Premier League club that has a pie as its mascot. Mm. Uh, Luton Town. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. Take that is shot. correct. <laughs> I feel like I've I feel like I've seen this. Like I've seen it fairly recently. Yeah, because there are a lot of obscure mascots out there. But a pie. When I read that, I just started laughing like at my desk. <sighs> I could believe it. Oh my god! Is it Fulham? No, but you're close. Okay. In terms of the name, it's Wigan. <laughs> Wiggins mascot is Krusty the Pie, spelled with a K. That's, that, that's great. <laughs> like Krusty the Clown. That's, they that's have really a pie good. for their mascot. Yes. yes. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I don't know what the history that. is of it. I'm sure there's some sort of connection between Wigan and pies, but yeah, uh, Krusty the Pie. And I will say this: when the league resumes, if there are any Wigan fans out there listening who would like to come down to the Celtic, dressed as Krusty the Pie. I will pay for all of your beer and your breakfast if you come down dressed as a pie. I almost want to put a Wigan shirt on and dress as a pie just to fleece fleece Josh out of a bunch of beers and and breakfast. Right. Well, you have to be able to – yeah. Yeah, there you go. you got to be a legit Wigan fan. (laughs) I cannot cannot say I'm a legit Wigan Wigan fan. fan, So Yeah. Yep, sadly. (laughs) All right. um, I'm going to wrap this up, guys. You ready? Yeah, let's go. Let's get after it. Go for it. There are no wrong or right answers to these next five questions. Um, I'm going a little bit COVID-19 here as well. Which current Premier League player do you think has the largest stash of toilet paper right now? Um, That's a great question. Or just stash of toilet. I could see John Joe just being kind of sketchy and the guy who hoards things. So I'll go with John Joe Shelby. <laughs> okay. It's funny. I was <laughs> I was gonna go Jolinson. <laughs> I mean, another Newcastle player. I figure you know. I he does. Mean, he does shit the bed all the time. He's exactly and to wipe away his his tears. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I, I think Jolinson is probably sitting on a throne of toilet paper right now. Yeah, fair. All right, question number two. If you had to spend the next three months of COVID-19 quarantined with any Premier League player, who would it be and why? Hmm. Hmm. Uh, 
That is an interesting question. Uh, Jamie Vardy, because he's always having a party. Oh, that's good. I like it. That's the right answer, Zach. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> what you got, Josh? Jamie. Ooh, geez. Um, yeah. Goodness. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. This is. You know. Um. Yeah. You know. I. I. I actually might have to go uh, Nagolo Conte. Mm. That's that's kind of the opposite. Right. What, the opposite your, yeah, for um, mindset. Just super yeah, chill dude. Yeah, exactly. He's super mellow, very nice. chill. Exactly. You'd exactly. have to you'd have to rein in your hatred of Chelsea a little bit, though. I would. That's the problem. Yes, I would. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Question number three, Josh. I'll come to you first. Who is the greatest redheaded player of all time? <laughs> oh, geez. Um, the greatest redheaded player of all time. I mean, I guess I guess we'll just stick with Jack Holback, even though. <laughs> You oh, that's know. an awful answer. <laughs> he's, oh, I know. Oh, I know. He's turning. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> he's a. He is an. I. I, I don't. I. I'll be honest. I. I. I don't keep track of all. All the. All the ginger. How, how about George Best in a wig? How about George Best in a Ronald McDonald. That's a good answer. That would be, that be. A, a sight to be seen. <laughs> okay. Maybe, maybe right. that. No, right, I, I don't know too many ginger-haired uh, you know, players. Sorry. You guys are gonna you guys are gonna kick yourselves if you miss this one. Um, okay, go ahead. Zach. Uh, there, there's only one other uh, red-haired player that I can think of, uh, and that's Alexi Lawless. And so, due to my hatred for Alexi Lawless, I will also answer Jack Colbeck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're both incorrect. The greatest red-headed player of all time is most definitely. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. That that's okay. what, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's fair enough. Sure. Okay. But I like I like your a slightly better center midfielder than Jack Colback, yeah. so that's that's fair. <laughs> right. <laughs> Keeping it at Newcastle and switching it back to COVID nineteen, many people are adopting new pets during COVID nineteen. Sure. I'm not sure if you've seen that in the news. If Alan Saint Maximin were to adopt a pet, what animal would it be, and what would he call it? He would get a um, he would get a kangaroo named Gucci. Gucci yeah. the kangaroo. Yeah, I absolutely think that's the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Josh, can you beat that? Oh man, what Premier League player and what pet, or just what? Uh, Alan Saint Maximin. Alan Saint Maximin. What pet and what name would he? Call what? It? Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think I, I would agree. I think that Saint Maximin would definitely get a an exotic pet for sure um i think he's gonna have a pet ostrich named walt all right okay <laughs> a pet like ostrich it. named walt I like walt it. the ostrich walt the ostrich solid answer buy it buy it now please all right last question and then i'm gonna give you guys a bonus question as zach knows we like to throw a little bit of welsh vocabulary at you to, to end the pod um this is one a little bit controversial for you both. Who's your favorite Sunderland Ooh. player of all time? Um, favorite Sunderland player. Uh... Oh man. Or Josh, you want to take that one first? Uh, did did Hendo ever one. play for Sunderland? Because I know he is from Sunderland. Yes, he did. So, yeah. 
Yes, yeah, he, did. he absolutely did. Oh, I'll go. I'll go with Hendo because I do really like Hendo. Okay. Yeah, I would. I would probably. Goodness. I like their old keeper. I'm spacing. Um, not Pickford, but. Um, are you talking about um, Mindelay? Yeah, Mindelay. That's a good one. Okay. Yeah, that's a good answer. He's, he's a good player. Same like, good, yeah. good, honest pro. I was thinking about this one, how I would answer this one, too. And I think I'd go a bit further back. Lee Clark um, played for Sunderland yeah. back in the day. Loved him. He was a great great player for the team back in the day, too. So one of the few players that played played for both Newcastle. Uh, Newcastle currently has two players who have played okay. for Sunderland, though. I know. Nope. Yeah, Mankio, nope. three, Sorry, then, three players. Um, who's the other one? Yedlin. Yedlin, Mankio, and who's the other one? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's not in the yeah. squad, but yes. Okay. Cole back indeed. All right, to finish up the pod, Welsh word for you. I'm going to spell it, and you both have to take a crack at how it would be pronounced in Welsh. It is spelled B-A-C-H-E-N. B-A-C-H-E-N. Bishen. Bishen. Bishen? Yeah. Okay. Josh, can you beat Bishen? Uh, Bison almost sounds German, but um, B A C H E N. Um, I'm gonna go with the hard C. I'm gonna say Bachin. Bachin is absolutely the correct answer. <laughs> is that right? It's a hundred percent correct. Bachen oh my god, are you kidding? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> nice. Josh, nice. has, Josh has destroyed you in Walsh sack. You've been practicing for months now. Oh, this, this, this is terrible. This is this a terrible. huge setback. Go on then, Josh. Oh, what, what does Bachen mean? I can't believe that's right. What does it mean? <laughs> what does, does it mean? mean Any guesses? Can, does it mean an amateur who pronounces Welsh <laughs> words correctly? <laughs> uh, it, it, it means that, but what would the translation be? Oh, Bachen? Um, uh... I don't know. I'm not using Google. I'm not tra- I'm not cheating here. So, um, I, I, I'm going to just. Uh, I, oh man, a wheelbarrow. A wheelbarrow. <laughs> I don't know. It's actually just boy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Is a little a boy. Right, fair enough. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. There you go. Uh, okay. Good, sh- good showing, guys. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was solid. Um, and yeah, th- thank you, Josh, for coming on the pod. This was a, a really great episode, so happy having you on. Oh, thank you very much. I, I appreciate it. It's, it's great uh, coming on here and chatting with you guys. Um, we, we always have fun chatting when we get together at the bar, but uh, you know, since we can't do that, this, is, this has been a great experience, so wish you guys the best. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, appreciate your time. you as well. All right. Cool, guys. Until two weeks from now, footy. Footy. Footy.